Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Today on the show, what the jury's decision in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial could signal for the future of gun rights and self-defense claims in America. Rittenhouse shot three people, killing two and injuring one at a police brutality protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin last summer. A jury found Rittenhouse not guilty on all counts. When he was on the stand, he claimed self-defense, and it worked. Cami Chavis is a professor of law and director of the criminal justice program at Wake Forest University. And she joins us now to explain the verdict and its potential implications. Professor Chavis, welcome to Reset. Good morning. Welcome. Rittenhouse's defense successfully argued that he was acting in self-defense when he killed Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum. But the prosecution argued that he essentially created a situation of danger. He went to Kenosha. He armed himself with an AR-15. He stayed past curfew. was the only person to shoot someone, let alone kill someone. So tell me, how is self-defense legally defined? Yes. So in order to have the right uh, of self-defense, you are able to use force, deadly force, um, against someone if you are met with with deadly force. You can use uh, any force that's necessary and appropriate to keep yourself safe. The issue here, uh, and I think uh, um, a lot of people, this is why um, uh, many Americans today are scratching their heads, is uh, you would Kyle Rittenhouse put himself um, in the middle of the protest with uh, armed with an AR-15, he very much looked like an aggressor. And then particularly uh, after having shot uh, and killed um, the the first uh, individual. Uh, people had no idea uh, what was happening and, and were pursuing him, thinking that he was an, uh, perhaps um, an active shooter. And so uh, we're trying to, you know, su- subdue him. And then he uh, was, again, able to kill and injure uh, others. Now, this verdict came down as we're also watching the Ahmaud Arbery case in Georgia. Now, in both of these cases, the argument is basically that civilians took up guns in order to protect the public. Uh, They killed unarmed people, and then they're claiming self-defense. Are there any limitations to this self-defense argument? Yes, there are several limitations. And uh, when you when you think about you, the ability to use self-defense, as I mentioned earlier, you are limited uh, by you, you can meet force with with force, but it, that force has to be necessary and appropriate. So when we look, well, first of all, you mentioned the Ahmaud Arbery case. And in that case, it's uh, I, I hope that we will see a different result because the facts uh, are uh, dramatically different in that uh, right. there was uh, in no way 
was uh, Ahmad Arbery being, uh, in no way was he being a threat or danger uh, to uh, the McMichaels. Uh, in fact, it was quite the other way around. Uh, however, in the, in the Rittenhouse uh, case, um, if he thought that he needed to use force, uh, I think the uh, the first victim it was um, alleged or at trial or evidence was shown um, that he threw some type of a bag at him. I mean, I think to respond and meet that force um, with deadly force using, you know, an AR-15 style rifle mm -hmm. to kill him, it's just it's not necessary uh, or uh, appropriate now, obviously, I mean that is that is my view, and having read and witnessed a, a bit of the evidence, but obviously the jury um, found that that different. Yeah, well, I mean, to your point, people are saying he essentially brought a gun to a fist fight, right? Does self defense yeah. have to be proportionate, or is there more gray area than that? Well, no. It, under under the law, it, it absolutely uh, has to be proportionate. And if the jury had found that it was, you know, unreasonable uh, for him to believe that that force was necessary, then um, they they would not have acquitted him. So said a different way, um, we can infer that the jury credited. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse's testimony that he felt that he was in uh, imminent danger and that he felt it was necessary to uh, to to use that force to protect himself. But when we think about uh, as and as you said, you know, kind of bringing this this gun to a fistfight, um, there were um, there were certainly legitimate uh, protesters. There were certainly you know, a minority of people who may not have been uh, protesting peacefully, but. Uh, the very we, we really need to have a conversation about gun culture uh, in America because had he not brought that uh, rifle to to the street with him, um, I think we'd have two people uh, alive today. Do you see this verdict as having any ramifications on how self-defense claims are not just perceived, but how they're used in court? Yes, I do. I think that we can expect to see more, uh, sell, more of these cases, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, dis disposed of, you know, a, a DA declining uh, to prosecute because they believe um, that legally that self-defense was available. Uh, and if they go to trial, what impact has this made uh, in the minds of prospective jurors as to what is reasonable, what's not reasonable? Uh, my uh, real concern uh, is that the message that this sends that uh, and, and perhaps the chilling effect that it could have on even peaceful protests. So you have a large crowds of people who are you know, exercising their First Amendment rights to, to protest whatever uh, it is. And then people in the community who don't want to be disturbed or who may have some uh, fear of what might happen will go arm themselves and it will escalate the situations. So what I see here um, with Kyle Rittenhouse is bringing in this unnecessary uh, escalation by even you know, bringing the firearm then and then using it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I think that it really sends a message uh, to potential vigilantes uh, out there that, you know, hey, we, you can do this and uh, you won't have uh, to pay any consequences. So you think self-defense or stand-your-ground laws need to be rewritten? 
Well, I think the the law of self-defense, uh, I'm very comfortable with the, the law of self-defense. It is how we apply it and what, um, and of course, um, the implicit biases that, that happen and that, that go on when we are, when jurors are applying um, the law of self-defense. Uh, I do think, because we're thinking about whether or not someone uh, would have been in a reasonable fear uh, of their life. What makes a person fearful? What is what is reasonable? And and again, I think the, the Rittenhouse case is a, is a, is a complex. But uh, for example, um, you take something like the Ahmad Arbery case that is that is far simpler. The, the, there was nothing um, that we've seen, the public has seen um, in the evidence that's been shown so far um, that would suggest that Ahmad Arbery um, was fearful, uh, was, should have been feared at all, but for the color of his skin. So I do think that uh, the, the law of self-defense, it's, it's uh, been around. We've seen it applied. I think it's how we apply it. I think it's the implicit bias that Mm -hmm. jurors bring. Uh, And I also do think that, yes, I firmly believe that stand your ground laws should be repealed because uh, under the common law, and this is when we're thinking about um, not these statutory changes um, that have the statutory expansions um, that have been enacted with respect to stand your ground, um, it used to be that if you were, you know, if you're in your home, you had the right to, to, as you say, stand your ground, defend your home, defend your castle. And essentially what stand your ground laws do is the world <laughs> becomes your castle. You can, uh, quote, stand your ground, uh, whether it be in your anywhere. car or yeah. in, anywhere. And so that's a, a vast expansion um, that we've seen um, and I believe at least 34 states have those laws. And what it does is it does escalate situations to to deadly force where they don't have to be escalated and it really gives um the uh, the go ahead to shoot first and we'll just ask questions later let's talk about gun rights for for a moment gun rights supporters are celebrating this verdict as a win for the second amendment what do you think well i think that you know when we when we think about the, the the right to bear arms certainly, but is it the right to in the right to bear those arms doesn't mean that it gives you the right to indiscriminately um, you know, sh- shoot and kill uh, people who um, are simply you know exercising their their First Amendment rights and who are not uh, threatening you. And again, there are some complexities when we uh, in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, uh, the prose- the prosecution had to disprove essentially um, that's the 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 burden um, that we have here with um, using self-defense um, that uh, for each of those uh, victims and um, that would just proved very difficult for them to do with the facts and and um, Rittenhouse's own uh, testimony but uh, essentially generally when we're talking about um, gun rights and the right to to bear arms it does not give you the right uh, to to shoot people without to, to use that firearm without uh, having some uh, provocation and uh, so the necessary and proportionate response. In uh, contrast, gun control supporters say that the verdict is going to inspire a new wave of armed vigilantism. What do you think about that? And, and is there or where is, I should say, the, the line between acting as a vigilante and acting in self-defense? 
Well, um, I do think, as I, you know, as I said earlier, I do think that this verdict is going to send the message to future <laughs> vigilantes that yes, I can, I can go out, I can bring uh, my firearm, I can brandish my my firearm, and 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 if I need to 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 use it i will likely uh i won't be seen as uh instigating uh or uh, you know i won't be seen as the aggressor myself and i'll i'll have the right to do this that is i think the message that this uh verdict is going to send and i do think that we could see potentially uh more violence um in our in in our in our streets because of it what about the message to to lawmakers because both sides, those who are for and against gun control, they're using this verdict as a way to push for change. Uh, and though the Biden administration has said that it's going to push for gun control, both parties kind of remain at a stalemate. So do you think that the verdict is going to have any impact on what lawmakers can push forward, whether it's for or against gun control? I think that 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 really remains to be seen. And I, I, I don't know what impact um, that will have at the federal level. In fact, the I think it will have very little impact at the federal level. I think, though, um, that local communities and thinking about different ordinances um, may be able to um, to enact uh, certain measures uh, that that prohibit uh, folks from carrying uh, weapons in certain situations. You know, we've seen a proliferation also of uh, states with, you know, open carry uh, laws. And so perhaps at the state level, um, this may have uh, some individuals thinking um that we need to, you know, cur- curtail that in order to de-escalate some of the violence um, that's that's happening. But at the same time, I think that the the verdict and perhaps the the tide of of of, of the country and where we're going um, could certainly suggest otherwise. That's Cami Chavis, professor of law and director of the criminal justice program at Wake Forest University. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's turn now to Oren Siegel, vice president of the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism. He's been tracking how right-wing extremists have been reacting to and organizing around the Rittenhouse verdict. Oren, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. What have you been seeing online from extremists since Friday? Yeah, so not surprisingly, um, extremists took to their social media platforms to express their excitement. Um, over the verdict. Um, They celebrated um, what they view as, um, you know, sort of a step forward for them to be able to defend themselves and more, I think, specifically act against their perceived enemies, whether that's the far left, whether that's BLM. Um, You know, in context, we have to remember that um, after the incident occurred, um, various right-wing extremists were celebrating at the time what he did at all, even before there was a verdict. So for him, uh, for them rather, he's a hero. Where exactly are you seeing the posts? Wh- which sites? Right. Well, you can imagine any platform that anybody spends any time on. I mean, these are niche platforms that extremists operate on, like you know Telegram and um, other sort of more niche platforms, but some of this is happening in, in, in pretty plain sight on some of the more established platforms as well. I mean, extremists tend to 
um, use uh, the language that is most uh, disgusting on platforms like Telegram and, and other smaller places. Um, but they know that people are, are listening and that their reach is a lot broader than any one platform. Well, as you, you talk about the language being used, Orin, is there anything being done to curb the anti-Semitic speech that you're seeing? So p- part of the reactions that we've seen in some spaces have indeed been anti-Semitic. I mean, that's sort of par for the course when it comes to anti-government and white supremacists in particular. Um, they never miss an opportunity to uh, nor- uh, celebrate violence and to add their anti-Semitic um, angle to that. But I will say it's not all anti-Semitism. Right. I mean, this is uh, many of the tropes that are animating anti-government and white supremacist extremists are the ideas that they are under attack, under assault, primarily from the left. And they view this verdict as a way to show that um, perhaps the tide is turning. Perhaps they're able to defend themselves from the perceived extinction of their race when it comes to white supremacists. Mm-hmm. So it's not all anti-Semitic, but. Overall, it's pretty much supportive of violence and and pretty hateful. Well, let's be clear. Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't tied to any extremist group. But does that matter? Uh, That's absolutely right. We have no evidence that he was tied to any group. But it doesn't mean that extremist groups won't adopt him and his cause. Right. Again, after the incident occurred in 2020, um, we saw many uh, right-wing extremists celebrating the fact that somebody had, quote-unquote, fought back. Um, and so, you know, he didn't need to be a card-carrying member of any extremist movement. In fact, most extremists are not. Um, what he represents um, to them is what's important. And that's why we've even seen throughout this process leading up to this verdict, uh, you know, merchandise being sold that glorifies Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse as a hero for fighting back against their perceived enemies. How is law enforcement responding? So, you know, to to the verdict uh, overall, uh, I mean, I think what we've seen is some heightened alert about, you know, protests uh, uh, around the country that in general, you know, failed to to materialize. We saw some protests, obviously, um, in parts of the country. But I think right now they are hoping that, you know, things are, are kept at an even keel. Um, I think what sort of long term the issue is, is how many of these extremists who view um, Kyle Rittenhouse as a hero and his violence as normal and acceptable, what kind of a public threat does that, does that pose moving forward? And this is where I think law enforcement is going to have its hands full. You know, protests in the future, um, you might find that extremists may want to show up and feel more emboldened to bring their weapons um, because of this precedent. So are our hate groups using this verdict as an opportunity to recruit more members? Um, you know, they it remains to be seen. Extremist groups never miss an opportunity to leverage a public issue to try to win hearts and minds. I mean, whether people actually join them is one thing. But I should note very explicitly here that the celebrations that we're seeing in the extremist spaces online um, are also being echoed in some more public spaces, right, in more mainstream circles where people um, on the far right, for example, but even places like Fox News, right, are going to have interviews with Kyle Rittenhouse again. Yeah, tonight. Tonight. And so I think what we're seeing is overall a normalization of the uh, ability for people to engage in violence. And in some cases, to treat them as heroes. I I don't think this is only an issue on the extremist fringes, unfortunately. 
That is Oren Siegel, Vice President of the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism. Thanks, Oren. Take care. Well, that's it for today's Reset, and you can hear more every weekday afternoon by adding this podcast to your feed. And while you're at it, give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.